0: Well, let me tell you, I I thought about today, I've been praying about this sermon this morning. And then I want to also tell you about something that I've been working on, a series that uh, will start next week, which is called He Sees Me. And so this series is something I I feel like God has been dealing with me personally about, but to to bring you, and it's, I just want to put that thought in your mind. He sees you. He sees you. So years ago, years ago, I was a youth pastor, and we were in Minnesota. And uh, if you don't know how to say Minnesota, I can help you with that. And I, I don't know what it is with me in accents. I just pick them up. In fact, there's times where I've been around friends, and they're like, it sounds like you're mocking them. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're talking with like them. Like, I just can't help it. I just do it. And so even when I was in Minnesota just a couple weeks ago for a funeral, I noticed when I was speaking the sermon, I was doing that. But I wasn't trying to, I just was. And what I was cracking up about is the fact that nobody there even knew. Because it's just how they talk. But anyway, I was, I was in Minnesota, and uh, we, we were at a relatively large church, and we wanted to do something with other churches and get together. And we, what we were thinking about is, how many of you have heard of See You at the Pole? It's a youth event, it's a national youth event, and, and it's interdenominational. The idea happens in September, and kids, young people, high school, middle school, go around their flagpole and pray. That's it. It's supposed to be student-led, student-guided, and that's what it is. But what we thought is, what, what if we did a city-wide event where we got all the churches combined, we, we not only talked about See You at the Pole, encouraged kids to do it, and then we, we canceled our own youth services, which is hard for a lot of churches to do, like, and come together for a big event. So that's what we were working on, and we thought, well, who's church? And, and, uh, you know, how could we, and if, if it's big enough, then we wouldn't be able to do it. And then someone in the circle which is always, it's awesome when you get a circle together of people because, you know, more minds are better than one. And, and, and this is a young guy, and he goes, he goes, why don't we rent the dome? And we're all like, you can't do that. And we start moving on, and he goes, no, 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 I think you can. I'm like, really? I love that. I love that kind of vision and that idea that just comes out of, out of an area where you didn't see it coming, and you think, what? Sure enough, back then, you could. Now the dome's no more, but back then, you could rent the dome. We found out it only cost fifteen hundred dollars to rent the dome. Well, there were right around the table. There were fifteen churches. We could do that and not and not blink an eye. So it was it was the most fun, cool event. You know, we we uh, we all invested and we had big inflatables. If you imagine the floor of the Metrodome there in Minnesota, to me the coolest thing was we let kids were able because the goalposts were still up. They could kick field goals. What a cool thing! So all this was together. So then we get to the point of the thing we're talking about the service itself. So one of the churches, you know, they were going to supply the band and it just so happened we had this speaker that we had already booked in schools, Reggie Dabbs, he's amazing. We knew he'd be great and and we knew we could get him to do this too and it would be paid for. So I mentioned, like, well, hey, we, we have this speaker that we can use and he does high school assemblies all the time. He'll be amazing. And I thought it would be a no-brainer. Everybody would say yes. But here's what you need to understand. This was a multi-denominational event. So a couple of the guys from the uh, evangelical Lutheran churches, and they were, they were huge, great churches, good people. One of them said, well, is he one of those like cross-the-line kind of speakers? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I mean no offense. Believe me, we got our lines too. And I'm like, well, I, I just don't get it. And he goes, well, what's he going to do? Is he gonna do and he was we were good friends, so don't be offended for me. I'm not I'm not offended. He goes, I know how you guys are. You hype people up and then you get them to raise their hand and then come forward and then they cross the line and they're saved. And I never heard our salvation appeal described that way before. I wasn't offended. I was just curious, what what do you mean by that? And part of me is thinking, oh yeah, I guess not everybody does that. And he said right away, he goes, we got our own line. Don't, I'm not trying to be offensive. He said, our line is this. We, we put kids through, through a confirmation class. And then about eighth grade, once they've agreed and learned all the things we want them to learn, and they know the, the right words, and they've answered all the questions, they're confirmed, we do a service, that's our line. And he, sadly, he, he said this. This is his words, not mine. He says, a lot of times we don't see those kids again until they, they're like adults with their own kids. And uh, he said, I just don't want to set up an artificial line where kids cross this and it doesn't change their lives. It was quiet in the room. And then the guy's like, I'm sure he's a great speaker. We can do it. I just, I just don't want to set people up for failure where they, they think they're saved and they're just, they just cross the line. Because emotion made them do it or guilt made them do it or some great speaker motivated them, got them all hyped up, and then they did it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want that either. I don't want to ever want that. And so as I'm talking to them, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If do you guys pray the prayer? I said that, and he's like, pray the prayer. No, we have confirmation. We just do that. And I said, well, is there a point where? And I, and I walked him through that whole process. And it's not a bad thing, and we, we had a really interesting conversation, and Reggie Dabbs was there, and a lot of kids responded to the altar call, and it was a good thing. It was an amazing event. We did it years, for years. But my question is, is what is that line? And have you crossed it? Awkward silence. What does it mean to be a Christian? And do you walk back and forth across the line? I mean, is there a line like right here and you're here and you just keep going back and forth or are you always on this side or is there a point where you come to a point of faith and knowledge and like they do and there's a test you can take and once you've taken it, you're in and boom, you're done. Is it something like that? I mean, what do you do? So let's say you do cross the line. What do you do next? Like, so let's say a kid did cross the line or you cross the line. What would you tell people? Okay, you're a Christian now. Now What? What would you tell them? That's not... I know it's... (laughs) I'm sure there's people at home answering my question out loud, but no one in the house was. What do you do? What are people supposed to do? Pray. You tell them what prayer is, right? It's a conversation between you and God. It's like talking. And you tell them what? You need to pray every day. And I've talked to people who are new converts, people who are new to Christianity, and they say, well, is there certain words I should say? Or how do I say them? Or... And you, you tell them it's more like a conversation. And I, I, always, I usually say something like this. It's like a relationship. You can't have a relationship without conversation. It's be something you, you tell them when you're struggling with something, when you're happy with something, something that's going on. You want advice. You want direction. You're talking to God about it. And then they say, well, what does he say back? And how does he answer? And I say, well, sometimes I hear, maybe feel an impression. I've never heard a voice. I've never seen an angel. I never had this. But people like it's a one-sided conversation, kind of kind of have you ever heard that women speak 20,000 words a day compared to men's 7,000 Have you ever heard that <laughs> imagine that but way worse right have you ever heard that it's it I was looking that statistic up I hate to say things at church especially if it's gonna be online for the whole world the world wide web that aren't true that statistic is actually challenged in many places it's pretty interesting. There's, there's a study done by the, uh, for the journal Science. And they actually put this thing on people, electronically activated recorders that they could not turn off. And it was a study they did in the United States and in Mexico with men and women. And here's what they found. That women do speak more than men, but... The amount of words that the average woman spoke in this test was 16,215 compared to the average man, man who spoke 15,669. That's not a big difference. So some of you are like, who's my man talking to then? Because it ain't me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing the study pointed out, though, is that the context of conversations and words are way different. And that makes more sense, doesn't it? Way more sense. Because a lot of what the men were talking about had to do with, you know, what kind of business-related things or whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's just different. It depends on your context. And I'm sure it's different for different people. And you got people who are more outgoing and less outgoing and people who... That's not even the point of what I'm talking about. The fact is you need to talk to people and in case you're wondering where that stat, that 20,000 compared to 7,000 came from, the best evidence this pr- researcher could find, it was included on the dust jacket of a book written in 2006 called The Female Brain, and then when asked, the author said, well, they didn't really have study for that, they just thought that was, sounded right. <laughs> so, you know, 90% of what you read on the internet is true, I'm just saying. Oh, I love, too, the article that, where I found a lot of this. It was, it was in the BBC, and it was called The Prattle of the Sexes. Instead of battle, prattle. I thought it was funny. What's the point? You, you still don't have a relationship if you don't talk. You need to talk to him, right? What else? What else does a new Christian need to do? Read the book? Read about him, right? If you want to know something about somebody, and he's written it down for you, you need to read it. How about worship what we talked about even this morning and in the context of this worship service and expressing your gratitude to God where it's it's different than praying it may sound or look the same to a degree but you're actually telling him how grateful you are for things and naming them by name I mean that makes them more real and more tangible and more you you feel more about it when you say it specific than general I mean thank you God for all your blessings is good to say but when you start naming them I think you become more grateful. And what happens is you become overwhelmed at all the things he's done. And then you expect him to do more things like that because you've already identified and established the fact that he does things like that. And then when other people have experiences that are similar to yours, you can say, he did this for me. It's good. Joining a church, being part of a group that mentors you and challenges you and walks alongside you and people who are further along in the faith and people who are walking it with you and then you can help people who are newer you find yourself part of a group and you understand each other, when you volunteer and invest in things that matter and you're part of the situation and you're no longer just an employee, but you are part of what happens. You know the difference when you're talking to somebody maybe at a restaurant or... or I, I thought this was fun. I was getting some... Uh, uh, for VBS coming up, I needed to get some lumber for Jerry. Jerry was out of town and Nick gave me the dimensions. so I go to the lumberyard. Anybody been to a lumberyard lately? Wow. It was quite an investment. Let's start there. The next thing is, when did they change the dimensions of lumber? Does anybody know? Like, I go in there. Phil, have you seen this? Okay, you go in there like, I needed half inch. They don't even have half inch. It's like 11-16ths. <laughs> Seriously? Are you kidding me right now? I don't know if it's millimeter or what. So I, the guy, there's a young guy uh, offered to help me. And I said, sure. And I, I was asking him that. And he goes, well, it's been this way the whole time I've worked here. And I'm like, oh. What are you, like, five? Okay. I mean, he was, he was, he was 19. And uh, I loved his attitude, though. He wanted to help me. I'm like, no, I got this. He goes, well, I, I'm here to help. And I looked at him, and I, I thought, that's, that, he's, he's the kind of person Home Depot needs to hire. Am I right? Because you know the difference when someone clearly doesn't want to be bothered. And you're wondering, what are you here for then? Why do you have that little vest on? If you don't want me to bother you, I am am a customer, right? (laughs) I was going to tell you a story, but I don't want to talk bad about businesses. But I had that experience this morning. Just let me say, when I got donuts, but just saying. Like, am I an inconvenience? Because (laughs) I'm actually going to give you money in a minute. It's like that at church you can be part of this. You can actually make this happen and make it work. You can, you can literally change the trajectory of an entire life by volunteering and teaching a child, where you are the a caring, loving adult who makes a difference in their life. And because you've done that, it changes everything. I don't, you know, we, we celebrated the life of Mike Curry yesterday, and that is what I heard about the most, When Mike did this for me, Mike helped me, Mike did this, and a lot of it had to do with the youth group here at the church. Powerful, absolutely powerful. You know what else happens when you become a Christian and you cross that line? You gain friends, but some you need to lose because the influences aren't beneficial and helpful, right? (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it, how all this works? Because just a little sidelight, maybe it's rabbit trail, I don't know, but... I was thinking about this just in passing, just the fact that, um, you know, G- Gary Chapman wrote that book about love languages, about how we naturally give and most genuinely receive love in certain ways. That's just how we're wired. Everybody's wired different, you know, and some are, some are touch, some are, some are time. You know, they want to spend time. Some people, it's acts of service. You do something for them, it means the world to them. Gifts, you know, they just live and die for a gift. Uh, words. Um, isn't it interesting how all that relates to you and your relationship with God too he's a relatable God he's a God that wants to know you personally and if you're somebody whose words are a big deal tell him words tell him that speak to him in your love language if it's time spend time but all those things are, are true for everybody I mean everybody relates in those ways to a degree and that's why all those things are important doing things, acts of service, doing things for him. When you serve others, you're serving him. And it's amazing the connection it builds between you and him when you live and work in that way. I think the touching one is more about worship when you're just spending time and not only expressing your words, but then you're you're connecting with him in a deep and meaningful way. We serve a personal God who wants to know you that way. He wants to know you that way. But how much of that makes you a Christian? Have you wondered that? Where's that line again? And I would ask this, do you know anybody who's a better Christian than you? (laughs) I don't know who said yes over here, but I said yes. What does that mean? What do we mean by that? Obviously it means something because I think all of us thought of somebody, right? Now I didn't ask you if you're better than somebody else because I think probably that would be leading you into sin. I'm not doing that. But you probably thought of somebody, right? And what did you mean by that? What were you thinking when I th- said that? What, what is your measure? How do, you, how do you tell if somebody's better? I mean, what do you do? How do you, how do you know that? What, do you, what does it mean to be good? And what's good enough? And by whose standard? Who are you measuring that by? Is it current culture standard? Because they're very willing to define what a Christian means today. I don't know about you, but... I. When I look at it, I want to know what Jesus' standard was. But how would you know? How can you know what's a good Christian? We, use, we have all these standards and measurements, right, in our world today. But is there a measure for Christianity? <laughs> I know this is corny, but... Like, wouldn't it be funny if there was a scale I could put on the stage and then I tell you, okay, step up on here and see how you're, Christ- you're doing as a Christian? <laughs> Does anybody like getting on the scale? I mean... Do we like being measured that way? I would be saying, I'm big boned. That's what I would mean. <laughs> be. I'm just big boned. Um, is there a BMI for Christianity? A BCI? I know, it's corny. Is it how much you pray? How much you read your Bible? I had a college professor, one, my favorite, Ronald Wright. He used to say this, the devil knows the Bible better than you. He just doesn't submit to Jesus. He even believes it. Is it how much money you give? I guarantee you none of those things are probably on the scale, kind of. But think about this. Is it the words you use when you pray or how many times you prayed or how many times you prayed for the same thing or how loud you prayed or... How many languages you could pray in? or uh, If you prayed selfishly or not, or prayed for everyone, or how sincere you were? I mean, seriously, how do we measure that? Because you could be sincerely wrong. Is that how many prayers are answered? I mean, do we stand out in the lobby and say, hey, I had five prayers answered this week. How about you? Well, I had six. Well, I had seven, but then one got away, and then... I mean, what do you do? What makes you a good Christian? What makes it that way? Is it praying the prayer? Is that what changes everything? Is it living the life afterward? I mean, what is it really? Is it believing with your whole heart? Remember that saying that what what would Jesus do? Brian Smith told me there's a, movie coming out about that. I'm excited to see that. It's sad to me that that became a cliche, the what would Jesus do? You know, it seems like once it's bracelets and necklaces and shirts, and then it's kind of, we just, it just drifts into meaninglessness. Because that really does matter. What would he do? I mean, what would Jesus WWJ say? What would he think? What would he tweet? What would he, what would he post? What would he wear? What would he, what would his reactions be to these things? I really believe it comes down to this. It's a consistent searching and learning and applying and growing process. You become more and more and more and more like Christ. It's it's a process. I don't know. You know, you see, I've seen shirts and things that says, like, be a good human. I think that's good. It's just good by whose standard? Because good for me may not be good for you, and good isn't always good and let's let's look at what jesus said let's just take a look at some of these things real quick there there was a pharisee which was a part of the ruling class they they didn't in general like jesus because he came on the scene and he's preaching and the people are following him and he's he's teaching the word like he wrote it like he knows it inside and out they try to challenge him and trick him and he's always on top of it and a step ahead and They're frustrated with him. But then it starts to break in. But he's doing these miracles that only God could do. What is going on? So one of them gets an audience with Jesus at night. And he wants to speak to Jesus. And he's trying to figure out, what are we doing here? Now, this is a guy who's followed all the rules from the very beginning. And he's even made up extra ones to make sure he never makes a mistake. But he knows that he doesn't have the relationship with God that Jesus does. And he wants to know, what is the difference? So when he sits down with Jesus... Jesus says to him that he needs to be born again, and that's confusing. He's thinking in the natural, and he's like, how could I ever do that? I mean, mom's probably even gone. And Jesus says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. (laughs) He left a little confused. But we know the end of the story. Jesus said you need to believe. And we talked about this two weeks ago where the fact that that word believe for the Jews didn't mean like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. It meant no, like this changes everything kind of belief. It's like now I see the world totally different. It's like now, okay, you are God. And because you are God, everything you said is true. Because you raised from the dead, we know it's true. And because of that, everything changes. And whatever I thought was more important takes now a second seat to you because what you say is important is is more important. And now, not only what I say has to be the difference, I believe it, and now my actions have to line up. James said faith without works is dead because just faith alone isn't it. It's faith and change of behavior. Everything changes. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were waiting. Jesus told them to wait Because he said he was going to send them the helper, the Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, they were were praying, it says, and they were praying. And then then a a wind came through and there were these these fire. They call them tongues of fire. But these little fire flames were on top of their heads. And then they all started speaking in other languages. And there were people in town for a festival. And they said, we hear them praising God in our languages. Some cynics, always going to be cynics said, oh, they're just drunk. (laughs) Peter gets up and preaches. And as he's preaching, he says, they're not drunk. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And the one you crucified, the one you crucified is the Messiah and the Lord, and he's come to deliver us from our sin. And we pick it up where it says, now they heard this, and they were cut to the heart And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Where's the line that we need to cross to be a Christian? What does it mean to be different one day and then the next day be a Christian? What does it mean to actually live like you're talking about? And Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Preachers love that line. With many other words. (laughs) What did he say? He said, repent and be baptized. What did he mean? Well, the word repent means to turn around, to change. Whatever you're doing before that wasn't of God, change that. Then he says to be baptized, make a, make a public proclamation. What it means to, to repent is to submit to his lordship. In other words, I'm not going to do life my way. I'm going to do it your way. And when my way doesn't agree with your way, your way wins. That's what it means. Changes everything. Then Paul to the Romans, chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart confess with your mouth and with with the heart one believes and is justified with the mouth one confesses it's a combination of belief and then action you believe in your heart and then you talk about it and what you talk about you live the bottom line is you're going to talk the talk but you're also going to walk the walk i heard a preacher one time i was i was preaching it with it was a conference thing and there's some other black preachers and this one black preacher he goes he goes all y'all are hooping and hollering and you're loud and that's awesome. He goes, (laughs) I don't care how high you jump. All I care about is how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Man, I'll never forget that. I don't care how high you jump. I just care about how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Oh my gosh. It's more than just talking and talking. It's walking and walking. It's you living out this change that's in you. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This verse describes salvation, and then it talks about what we should do afterward. It describes salvation. In other words, it's not, you didn't earn this which is very important. I mean, the Jews had all these rules and they have to do with the Christians. We have all these rules. We want to walk a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way. And he's saying, that's not what gets you saved. What gets you saved is faith in Jesus and that faith changes you. And then as he changes you, he gives you things to do. It's a combination of all of that. Good works, sharing your faith, volunteering, serving in your home, serving your neighbors, loving your enemies. All those things are Jesus. And what he does is he makes those works happen. Paul in the book to, to the Corinthian church, he says, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as a, in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as a, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to catch this. Being transformed into the same image. That's an active action happening. Not started in the past, continues into the future. You are being transformed. I know if I ask this question, how many of you are perfect Christians? There's some of you I would expect to raise your hand. I would raise your hand. But you know that's not true. None of us are that good. The fact is we are all being transformed. And here's what I want you to understand. Those brothers didn't understand it sitting around the table. But the reason we pray a prayer and have people come to an altar and raise their hand is because that starts this process. What happens is the Spirit of the Lord starts to talk to your heart and you realize you're not living right, or maybe you haven't surrendered to Him at all, or accepted Him in your heart, or any of those things. What happens is, as you realize that, you realize you need to make a change, and then somebody calls you to a point. It can happen in a church, it could happen in your dining room, it could happen in the bleachers at a ball game, where you sit there and you realize you've talked to somebody and you said, You realize you need this change. You realize you need Jesus to make a change. And you invite him to do that. It doesn't matter exactly what words you say, but it matters that you say, yes, I'm sorry. And I want to be different. And then as you make that change, then he continues to do that. And he transforms you from what you were into something different. Many of you, that's the very story you tell to to help people understand what it is. It's an act of our will. We talk about it. We verbalize it. We live it. We change it. Everything is different. The truth is, you can't do things all the same that you were doing and expect different results, that would be insanity. Instead, it changes everything. So when we talk about what it means to be a Christ follower, a disciple, a Christian, it means are you actively changing? Because none of us have arrived and it's a process we keep going through. Are you actively following Jesus? Are you working at establishing patterns and habits that take you closer to Him? Or are the things you're doing actually drawing you away? The fact is, we're all training for something. All of us. We just are. I think of, you. Think about the military. You think about people who are in elite sports. You th- you think about those kind of things. Uh, the fact is, they're always training. What are they training for? They're training for an event that's going to happen. But it's part of the training that makes you ready. And as Christians, a lot of times we don't think of the training part. We just feel like we've arrived, or we just we're kind of chilling. It's the training. Is what you're doing, what you're putting in, making you more like him or less like him? I want you to think about the math here. If Jesus spent, let's just say, you know, he had, he had these followers who were following him. Let's, to make the math easy, easy. <laughs> I always like easy math. Um, let's say he spent eight hours a day with his disciples. Well, we know they live with him, but let's say eight hours a day. And he did that with three years. Well, I mean, we think it was three and a half, but three. Anybody do the math on that? I know some of you can. Let me make it simple. It'd be around 8,000 hours. 8,000 hours. I, I mention that because they still weren't perfect either. And as you look at their lives, even as Jesus was about to ascend to heaven, some of them doubted. I say that because I don't want anybody here to feel like you're bearing a weight of guilt that you're not a perfect Christian yet. The fact is, we're all in process. But we also need to be engaged in the process. And some of us, and I'm, I'm not talking about, any, I don't have anybody in mind, I promise you. Maybe except for me. But the fact is, it's easy not to be in the process, not to be engaged, just to drift. And if you're drifting, you're not growing. You just aren't. Frank shared this word from God with me um, And I I think it's for right now. Listen to this. Many people are hungry for a move of God, but they're not hungry enough to move closer to God so that he can release the move he has for them. I want to read that part again. Many people are hungry for a move of God, but they're not hungry enough to move closer to God so that he can release the move he has for them. He longs to move in and through each one of uh, and every one of his people, but he can't do that when he's being held at a distance. Uh, a lot of us long for things, but we're not willing to put the work in. Probably The best example I've ever heard is somebody went up to a concert pianist and said, oh, I'd give my life to play like that. And what the pianist say? I did. The whole time you were out doing whatever you were doing, he was practicing. Look at these athletes in the Olympics. That doesn't happen eating Twinkies. No offense if you like Twinkies, I'm just saying, but you got to put the work in. You want God to move? Then you need to move closer to God, and he will move. That's how it works, and it's all of us. It's not a, it's, this is not a spectator sport Christianity. It's very participatory because we have a personal God who wants a personal relationship with you all the way through. It takes repetition and hard work. You, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's comfortable living in America as a Christian. It has been. Cuz for what? 5000 years. I mean, basically the the world the United States has been kind of in line with Christian values. People have intrinsic value. The unborn matter, the races. Think about Galatians 3:28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. That's a Christian value. That's Christian. Equal justice under the law. True tolerance, loving your enemies, caring about people who don't agree, being patient, loving them, going the extra mile. Those are Christian values. The golden rule itself, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do it also for them. And in, in the Matthew seven twelve version, Jesus says, this is the law and prophets. 1 John 4, 7, to 8, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I want you to shut your eyes for a second and think about this. Verse 8 is pretty direct. Listen to this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's his nature. His nature. We have to be more than just... Christians in name only or cultural Christians. We need to be growing, learning, intentionally following Jesus. Intentionally diving into his words, spending time with him, talking with him, doing acts of service for him. We choose that. We choose all of that. Now with your eyes closed, I ask you to close your eyes. I do this because it just gives us a sense of Privacy. Even you watching online, I would encourage you to do that because it feels like you're just alone with you and him and the sound of my voice. What I want to ask you today is this. Some of you need to cross the line. There is a line. And some of you need to cross it. You need to choose to follow him. And maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you've thought about it or maybe you had followed him but you've kind of walked away and now you realize, I need to follow him. I need to choose to do that. So I just want to ask that question first, and I'll ask another question for everybody else with your eyes still closed, but maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you can contact us privately if you want to, but you can even put it in the chat online. But if you need to follow him, and you realize you need to cross that line and say, yes, I want to follow Christ, if you want to do that, we will pray with you. Anybody at all, that is you this morning. You just want to raise your hand, and we will pray with you right now. Anybody at all. If you're watching online that's you it's not a complicated process it's basically you just saying to God and it's you can do it conversationally tell him God I am sorry for the things I've done that were wrong I want your forgiveness I accept the forgiveness Christ paid for on the cross I want that applied to my life and I want to be different I want to follow you the rest of us in the room I just want to ask this simple question have you been following him how close are you following him When I was asking you to to say if there was anybody who was a better Christian than you, I was goofing around. But I wanted it to hit you hard because the fact is, you should be running after him so hard that you don't see anybody else. You don't even look around because all you can see is him. He is your goal that you want to be like him. You want to know him better than ever. So with everybody's eyes closed, I'm just wondering, who is that today? You want to follow him closer. If that's you, just raise your hand. It's a physical act that just exemplifies an inside feeling. Yes, I want to follow him. All right, let's do this. Would you stand with me? As we get ready to go today and close this service, I want to pray for us. This prayer is for you, but I want you to pray with me because I'm going to pray it because I need it too. I just want us to pray together. Would you do that with me as we close today? Father God, we stand before you as followers of you but we want to follow closer we want to run harder we want to be be with you we want our time with you to be be intimate we want to share ideas and thoughts and God we want to spend time and I pray for each of us for me for these those who are watching online that as we search after you and walk after you that I pray your word would come alive in new ways as we read it it would just speak to us as if we're hearing your voice Father, I pray as we spend time in prayer, as we're praying to you, that we, we would hear those nudges and those impressions and that you would literally respond and speak to us. God, I pray for each and every one that as we walk towards you, that our relationship with you would grow deeper today and tomorrow and the next day than it has ever been. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, have a great week. Just, I just pray you'll be blessed this whole week. Amen.